Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Ed Turpening. He's a senior consultant at Altimeter Group and co-author with Charlene Lee of a new report on social media education for employees. Ed, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks, Eric. Glad to be here. Now, now before we talk about social media education, I know you're also a painter. You're a fine artist. Yes, that's right. So, so tell us about your work. Let's let's get some humanity into this podcast first. Okay. Uh, yeah, um, I've been a painter for, gosh, about 12, 13 years now. Um, I started as, as sort of a hobby, and it it actually grew into a career. And um, so um, I go on, I go back and forth between painting and and other uh, marketing strategy work. So um, um, you know, right now I'm I'm working at Altimeter, but I also uh, paint, I travel and paint uh, plein air, which means I paint outdoors in front of my subjects. And I uh, really enjoy the, the left brain, right brain activity between the two. <laughs> what, what, sort of, what sort of style is your work? Um, I guess I would describe it as uh, contemporary um, impressionism. So, um, you know, my, I do figure, landscape, um, all within a, uh, you know, a representational, repres- you know, you recognize the subject, um, but it's also a little loose and painterly. And uh, so I try, to, I try to mix it up a little bit. You know, for years I was a big fan of the Dutch Masters until I, I caught the Impressionist bug. And now I must say, I'm definitely, that's my first and foremost favorite, you know, area is Impressionism. Yeah, it's a beautiful combination of, you know, the, the physics of the paint itself and the texture and the really rich colors um, and representing themes and storytelling. Um, I really enjoy it. Who are your favorite uh, Impressionists? Oh, um, I would say, well, of course, Monet, but um, Anders Zorn is, is one of my favorites. He's act, actually, there's a big show right now in San Francisco of, of his work. He was a turn-of-the-century painter. Uh, John Singer Sargent, um, mm. one of those painters that just captured the Gilded Age of high society, the turn of the century as well, and just some amazing work. I love his watercolors of, yeah. of ships. Yeah, have you seen Zorn's watercolors? No. Oh, they're amazing. Um, well, if you make it out to San Francisco, uh, definitely check it out. I think the show runs through February, but um, there's just some some amazing watercolors by by Anders Zorn. Well, before we get into business, I'll just say that I'll have some links with Ed's help in the show notes if you want to see his work and some of the other painters that we've been talking about. Sound fair enough? Yeah, thanks, Eric. Appreciate that. Yeah. Now, according to your research, um, developing an internal social media education and training program is the second most important priority for organizations. Who specifically needs to be trained, and what do they need to be trained to do? Yeah, good question. So we've identified through our research four different roles that, that require training, and all for different purposes. And some of these roles might even um, intersect a bit. 
But um, the, the, the starting role is all employees. Um, all employees need some level of social media training because they have to understand the boundaries between personal use of social media and business. And there are boundaries there that, um, that can be dangerous if crossed inappropriately. Uh, people tweeting about work in inappropriate ways or brands that, that conflict. So that's the first one. It's, it's all, all employees' social media training. The second type of training is, is, is a little bit more practitioner. So it's an introduction to social media that has broader impact. So these might be employees that have been certified, for example, to tweet or, or speak on behalf of a company in social media. Um, and they, they could be scattered throughout the organization. I think typically they're in terms of relations, marketing. Um, they might even be in investor relations and other, and other areas where uh, a company needs a voice within social. The third, the third role is uh, the social media practitioners. And those are the folks in social media teams. They're dedicated to social. They might be running social strategies. They might be blogging or creating other content, managing, managing content, moderating communities, and so on. But it's a much deeper uh, level of training because it, it involves, um, you know, it's your day job. It's, it's what you do day to day. And then finally, executive education. Um, and we think executive education is really important for a number of reasons. One is um, most leaders, um, when they're presented with social media, they're not plans. They're not sure what to make of them. They're not sure how, how to invest and how much to invest in social. So part of the education for leaders is, you know, what, how can social impact my business? Um, what are some case studies and how that can happen? And how should I think about social as a business tool? Um, a lot of that, a lot of the education that, uh, for leadership involves, you know, just bringing them up to speed. You know, they're not, uh, the typical C-suite executive is not um, that ingrained in social. It may not be part of their um, day-to-day life. So um, it's important that they understand at least how it can be used as a business tool. Sure. Now, the report found that more than half of organizations that you queried had to deal with at least one violation of their employer's social media policy. Why is the percentage so high? Oh, actually, I think that's low. <laughs> I think actually most come. Well, when we asked that question, I, I, you know, I could tell that some of the companies we spoke to didn't really know how many violations they had, and you know, the reason for that is multi, multiple. I mean, it might be that um, the violation occurred within a walled community, so it might have been you know, within a, within, a, within a private Facebook group where the violation occurred, but the company was not able to discover it. Uh, but to answer your question, it, it's, it's a big number. It's a big percentage because social media is just part of everybody's everyday life. And what happens is um, in, in your personal life, there's often a, an overlap with business. You know, you, you talk about where you work, what you're doing, the kinds of, the kinds of work you're doing, the nature of the work you're doing. And sometimes some of that um, expression of, of work life can, can just bleed in, into, into uh, the business world and, and really have an impact. So um, a lot of the policies we see and a lot of the education we see is trying to teach um, the everyday employee what the boundaries are so they understand the risk um, that their social media participation presents to the brand um, and, you know, how to manage that. You know, uh, simple things like, do you accept friend requests from clients, from customers? And, and, you know, what are the implications of that if you do that? So it's, it's that type of, um, of basic knowledge that we try to, 
uh, that we think is important in, in avoiding those kinds of violations. So you're saying that this, um, this sort of this social media policy training, this all-employee social media training, um, is something that everybody needs, but with time off the job being the number one cost of training, how do you sort of draw the line about between what they really need to know and what they don't need to know? And talk to us a little bit about just how extensive this all-hands-on-deck social media policy training should be. Yeah. Well, we see where anywhere from, you know, 20 minutes to up to 40 minutes, 40, 45 minutes. And it really depends on the nature of the business. So, for example, um, heavily, heavily regulated industries like financial services, healthcare, telecommunications, um, they have, um, you know, a, a much, they tend to have much deeper policies and much more uh, comprehensive policies. And what that means is, of course, is that your training has to reflect that and test against that, so training will be more extensive. Um, so really, you know, it depends on the nature of the business. You know, there's some, some businesses we've worked with that barely have a social media policy, and they don't have as much of a problem because maybe they're a brand that's not as well-known or, they, you know, the typical employee has less access to information that... Um, would be, you know, a detriment to release publicly through social. Um, so, um, you know, it, it, it runs that sort of gamut. Now, the report says employees should be, repaired, should be prepared for the inevitable gray areas created by the fast-changing social media space. Can you give us some examples of what those gray areas might be? Sure. Yeah, so, um, and that's why our, our training really focuses on building judgment skills and not facts. So, you know, when presented with a social media policy, um, typically we don't test on, you know, is this true or false? It's more of presenting real-life work situations so that that an employee can then um, build skills and learn those. So I'll give you an example. So this is a concept, of course, in social media of friending or following someone, right? So when you follow someone on Twitter, you create an association with that person. And it's actually a kind of endorsement, right? So if you're following a brand or an individual, um, that's a way of endorsing uh, that person or brand. Uh, the same in social media, in, um, I'm sorry, in Facebook. So when you follow someone or subscribe to someone's post, you create that endorsement or that um, connection. Um, now, what's happening, though, is that, you know, there are more and more social media tools coming about. And... Um, so and, and, and some of them call, call this association a friend or a connection or uh, a follower, all those things, all those types of words are used to create those connections. So w- what we think is important in training is to talk about the high-level concepts of following or connecting and, and the implications of those so that as new tools come about, because there are new tools all the time. I mean, you know, there are just new social media tools propping up all the time. And so we can't, you can't really train an employee on every tool, so you have to train about concepts and judgment so that they can apply, you know, sound judgment skills to any new tool or situation that might come about. In uh, The Art of War, the famous uh, a book by Sun Tzu, it says, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Are, are you suggesting that the only people you follow are people who you agree with? If this is a business context, you know, the rules really kind of vary and differ uh, based on industry. You know, so, for example, if you're in the banking industry and you're an investment advisor, 
um, you're what's called a regulated user, and and anything you do in public is uh, comes under scrutiny of uh, regulated bodies like FINRA um, and other you know financial service uh, regulations. So, for example, if you were to, as a regulated user, accept an endorsement on LinkedIn, for example, if you had a great relationship with a client and that client endorses you, um, that might be. You go ahead and you go ahead and try to endorse something. You're actually creating, um, you know, a, a legal, you know, an opinion that's legally binding. So, for example, if you're an investment advisor and you start and, and you endorse or you somehow um, connect to, I don't know, a public company that you might be um, covering as part of your uh, as part mm-hmm. of your job, you have to be really, really careful about that because you can you can set up this environment where you're where you're endorsing something. And it may not be really an endorsement. You may just want to follow them. You just might want to understand their point of view. But um, the regulators often take the stance that it's that it's an, a type of endorsement, um, even though you're just following someone. You know, that's, it's a nice point for a segue. How are employers assessing the effectiveness of their social media education programs? Yeah, well, typically, unfortunately, it's fairly... Um, high level, and they, they typically look at participation numbers. So, for example, 72% of those that we queried on this mm. question um, only look at participation numbers. We think the more advanced brands like Dell and some others, they're really looking at the outcome of participation in social media. So, for example, on the risk side, are they, are they reducing the number of incidents reported and the policy violations? And then on the opportunity side, are they seeing advocacy being driven by that employee? Are they generating more follows to their brand page based on that employee's activities? So we tend to think that it should be much more complex and simple participation numbers, but really look at, you know, what is the level of, of activity, both positive and negative, that occurs as a result of, uh, as a result of the education itself. What about just like simple assessments, like, you know, giving some sort of a multiple choice test afterwards? Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's common. And then, so, for example, final test scores, you know, 24% of the, of the companies we query say that they use final test scores as a way to judge the success um, beyond participation. We're, we're talking to Ed Turpening. He is a senior consultant at Altimeter Group and co-author with Charlene Lee of a new report on social media education for employees. And when we return, we'll talk about the role of HR and social media training training modalities, and what it takes to keep your training materials relevant after this. Let me ask you a question. How are you managing social media risk? Because your social media policy isn't going to help you manage social media risk. In fact, only two out of every 1,000 people even open the terms of service before signing up for an online service. So the truth is, no one reads your social media policy. They sign for it and stick it in the bottom drawer. I'm not knocking social media policies. They're what justify disciplinary action, but they don't get people to comply and they don't teach people how to use social media effectively for business. In fact, after your legal team gets through with it, your social media policy probably discourages your employees to share your messages with their personal social networks. So what are you supposed to do? How do you manage the risks and capitalize on the opportunity? How do you scale social media engagement in the workplace effectively and responsibly? The answer 
is social media training, assessment, and certification. But not live training. It's too expensive and impractical. Cloud-based, on-demand, social media literacy and compliance training is the answer. Training you can give everyone in your company. Training they can take anytime, anywhere, on any device. Training that's so useful, so entertaining, and so current, it's an employee benefit. We've introduced the world's broadest, deepest catalog of social media literacy and compliance training courseware. It's auditable, so you get a record of who knows what, and it's accessible via desktop or mobile, so employees can access it on their own terms. For a free trial, go to ontherecordpodcast.com forward slash comply socially. See for yourself how you can use our system to manage the risks associated with social media in the workplace. You can even earn a social media compliance certificate. Go to ontherecord.com forward slash comply socially and access your free trial. If you're spending all your time worrying about crisis preparedness, take half of that effort and put it into crisis prevention. Before someone says something that damages your reputation, before you leak customer data, before you get fined by the Federal Trade Commission, certify your people, certify yourself. Ed, what is the role of HR in the social media training process? And at what point should employees be introduced to social media training? Well, uh, we think that employees should be introduced on day one. So one of the things we, have, we advocate with our clients is they make it part of the onboarding process with new employees, that right from day one they introduce social media and what the constraints are and, and, what, and any, any empowerment that employees might have in social media. So we think it starts at day one. In, in terms of HR's role, it's interesting. Um, they're generally not at the forefront of bringing social media training into the organization. That tends to be marketing and uh, communications, um, and the social media team itself tends to be involved. And what we've seen is HR tends to be more of an enabler. So, you know, because HR typically manages learning and development for most large companies, um, you know, they own the social media platforms, the contracts with providers, uh, training providers, and so on. So they really play a role that's more of a facilitator. Of course, the broader role for, for HR is really on policy. So because HR generally owns social media policy, or they're at least a, a, in a very important facilitator of policy, um, it's really important to have HR at the table during, um, during the development of training programs because you have to make sure that the, the policy is reinforced in training um, and that it you know, aligns with... Um, with the legal goals that, you know, HR is trying to achieve uh, with, with various training programs. It seems like it's a pretty evolved uh, strategy um, for an organization to realize that enterprise-wide engagement is sustainable and, and really the, the only realistic way to go. Um, certainly most of us started uh, um, siloing social media communications inside of marketing or PR, that type of thing. So I mean, what are like the unique characteristics of an organization that gets it and is not resistant to enterprise-wide training? Yeah, that's a good question. So typically what we've seen is that um, this, this type of training, dedication to training, usually lags about three years uh, the creation of, of social media teams or structures within organizations. Um, 
and, you know, and that's, that's for all of the, you know, all four types of training from, from all employees to leadership. So uh, the, the typical company that understands this is actually much further along the social media maturity curve. So Altimer has identified uh, seven levels of social media maturity. And um, uh, one of the levels is called engagement. And that's where the brand or the business has a social media page. They're publishing. Um, but, but it tends to be very siloed. Um, where we see the, the, the types of companies that really have a, a well-thought-out social media strategy are in the next phase of social business maturity, and that is the, you know, the, the phase where they're scaling social media across the company and they're being much more strategic about social media. They're not looking at social media as, as silos around products or regions or you know, very narrow areas. They're looking at social business and social media as a, as a broad business tool. So that you know, uh, some of the some of the companies we cite in our report that that are at that level are companies like Dell and Intel and Cisco, you know, that have been uh, practicing social media for some time, and um, and now able to really um, you know create the kind of education programs that are needed to scale social media across the company, and not and take it out of you know just sort of little silos within a, in a company itself and making it more, much more of a broad-based tool. I think it's easy for um, organizations that aren't tech organizations to discount those three examples because they don't necessarily have the deep subject matter expertise bench that um, you know, Dell and Intel and Cisco have. But in your report, you, you, you mention also um, Aetna and Kaiser Permanente and Radio Shack. I wonder, if is, are there any other sort of unique characteristics about those organizations that make them readily apparent and different from the rest of the organizations that are still trying to look at this as an extension of their marketing programs? Yeah, um, Aramark is actually another one that uh, might be surprising to you that uh, really has a handle on this, Radio Shack as well. Um, I guess the characteristics are that they've reached the point in their maturity in social business that they have a, a strategic plan for the company overall. Um, and that enables them, them to do training consistently across the company because they have, a strate- you know, they have a strategy that the entire company is working towards. I think the other thing that uh, we see in common with companies that are much more mature in this area is governance. Um, so governance meaning you know, they have the policy, the people, the processes, the guidelines, um, the education programs, all of that to govern the use of social media and to govern um, the strategic use of social media across the company. So I think those, those are two very big, you know, indicators. Um, you know, typically if a company has a, a broad strategic vision that goes out a couple of years and that is really firm-wide across the company and um, that they have governance in place to manage social effectively, uh, typically, in most companies, no matter what industry they're they're in, you'll find that they have uh, you know a decent social media education program. Uh, it used to be that the road to social media greatness was littered with skeletons, and I think about the uh, the Dell Hell example and the exploding batteries, and of course they rushed into social media and did a great job with it, but it was not without a lot of pain before they got there. Do you see that happening as well here? Is it is it those companies that have some high profile misfire that that humbles them who are sort of the first to the table? Hmm. 
Well, um, it does seem that a crisis will often um, instigate the two, the two key um, aspects that I, I spoke about, which is having a company-wide strategy and having governance in place. So in some cases, you know, and there have been other cases of other brands where a crisis has instigated it. Um, so, you know, I think that can, that can be one of, one of, another one of the early indicators, absolutely. Now, classroom training is effective because you have to go to a room and sit through a class, but given that it's also expensive and impractical when it comes to training large employee populations, and given that teaching new skills is so important in the digital age, how do you motivate employees to complete on-demand courseware? Hmm. Well, um, <laughs> actually, most of the clients we've worked with, it's it's a it's a mandatory requirement. So, it, it, you know, at, at least for employee um, all employee policy training, it's it's like sexual harassment or any other kind of uh, training program where um, it's simply a requirement for your job. Um, I think the trickier, uh, you know, if you look at the spectrum, um, the practitioners, they, they all want training. There really isn't anything that we need to do to motivate them you know, because it's their job and they, want to, and they want to excel at it. I think where it gets tricky is, is leadership. So leadership, um, you, you know, they often don't want, they're often embarrassed to, to say that, you know, they don't use social. They don't use, they're not on LinkedIn or Twitter. And so, but yet they're asked to make, decisions every day and many of them about, you know, how much should we, what should we think about social for our business? Should we invest in it? Um, how much should we invest? What is, what does that look like? So I think those, the, the leadership and the executives are the most difficult to bring to the table. And some of the successful programs that we've seen that we write about in our report are reverse mentoring, where you pair up an, a leader with a social media practitioner and you tailor, and um, you know, a a kind of uh, reverse mentoring role with that person where you bring them up to speed in a way that fits their schedule, fits their, their need for, you know, admitting that they don't know something without doing so in a, in a big classroom full of folks um, and really respecting their role as decision makers, um, including de- deciding, you know, the role that social plays in their business. Now, the report says 56% of the companies you surveyed are developing their own trainings internally. Given that the mechanics of social networks change so frequently and that best practices are still developing, what kind of resources are required to keep that sort of courseware current and relevant? Yeah, good question. Um, It's a really tough uh, decision to do to, uh, well, not decision, Uh, you know, uh, investment decision to do that. Um, I think from what I've seen, first of all, is that most companies can only afford to update their social media training program, uh, or, well, their policy training program once a year, um, because that's typically on an annual cycle when it comes to uh, policy. Um, the other courses like the practitioner development, um, those are often updated much more frequently, uh, once a quarter. Um, so when it comes to in terms of an FTE, I don't know that we have to look to see. Yeah, we did have some data on that. Um, half of companies that we spoke to only have uh, one FTE to manage social media education, and so that's year-round um, uh, policy. You know, all kinds of education programs, and then there are a number of uh, uh, part-time SMEs, subject matter experts that have to be queried during the year 
to reflect, you know, changes in Facebook or Twitter or new social platforms that we that companies want to test against. Um, yeah, 52% um, have at least one uh, part-time or full-time employee uh, managing social media education. Ed, final question. Talk to us for a second about modality. When it, when it comes to the sort of all-hands-on-deck social media policy training, what are the best delivery uh, uh, formats for that type of a training? Well, for scale, I mean, it, it, it pretty much has to be online interactive, right? So, um, so we typically see um, you know, online courses in, in platforms um, that, are, that are used for other purposes. Um, so, for example, ethics training or harassment training or other, other training platforms like that, uh, programs like that. Um, so it's um, it, typically also what we, in order to build judgment skills, what we try to do and, and what, we, what we think works best is that um, the, the training program must really reflect sort of the everyday challenges of that business. Um, so, you know, presenting to the student real-life work situations, you know, um, you're in a meeting with an, a colleague and you're talking about something and social media comes up, you know, sort of describing those, um, those real-life work scenarios and then building judgment cases around them, which is why I think it's challenging um, to create social media training because it's, it's, first of all, it's based completely on... Um, on the policy, which differs, you know, uh, there is there is a lot of commonality in terms of social media policy across companies, but they do differ between companies, and so um, you know it's not easy. You you've got to both have the policy accurate, accurately represented within the training, and then you have to present real life work situations that test for judgment skills and build judgment skills that for a medium, as you say, that changes so quickly. So that again, you know, if a student is faced with a new situation, a new a new tool, and they start building connections um, and endorsements or doing other things, they understand, um, you know, the, the the high level concepts that drive social media and where the risks and opportunities are and how to manage those. Ed Turpening, painter and senior consultant at Altimeter Group. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.